me this morning, if you would please, to Daniel. I'm going to go to the book of Daniel and uh, just release something over your life today. For all those that are visiting with us today, we're so glad that you're here. I know uh, last Sunday, Pastor Tina preached. Heard that was an amazing word last Sunday. I listened to most of it. Amen. Praise God. And Sunday before that, Pastor Porter was preaching. Heard that was an amazing word. I listened to a lot of that. Aren't you grateful for the gifts that are in this house? Amen. It's just, they keep right on rolling. Does this sound all right to y'all out there? This is a brand new microphone. It's like brand, it's never been used that I know of, so it's brand new. It's a little working with it in the monitors for me, but as long as it sounds good to y'all. Y'all okay back there? Would y'all tell me the truth? Okay. Okay. All right. Daniel... You know, I think I gave the guys the wrong verses in the back. I want to go to Daniel chapter 1 first. Daniel chapter 1. Sorry about that, guys. Daniel chapter 1, verses 1 through 7. Switched it up on you a little bit this morning. Everything else will be right. Daniel chapter 1. I'm going to begin reading in verse number 1. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem, and he besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the vessels of the house of God. And he brought them into the land of Shinar, to the house of his God. And he brought the vessels into the treasury of his God. Then the king ordered Ashpath, Ashpenaz, one of them hard words, people, uh, the chief of his officials, to bring some of the sons of Israel, including some of the royal family and of the nobles, the youth in whom was no defect, who were good-looking, showing intelligence, and every branch of wisdom endowed with understanding and discerning knowledge, who had the ability for serving in the king's court. And he ordered, and he ordered him to teach them the literature and the language of the Chaldeans. And then the king appointed for them a daily ration from the king's choice food, from the wine which he drank, and he appointed that they should be educated for three years, at the end of which they were to enter the king's personal service. Now among them from the sons of Judah were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Then the commander of the officials assigned new names to them. And to Daniel, he named him Belshazzar, to Hananiah, Shadrach, to Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. Now look with me in Daniel chapter 3. Many of you know this story. It's really familiar. I'm reading a lot of it because we'll cover it while we work on it today. Daniel chapter 3, we're going to pick it up in verse number 12. Of course, King Nebuchadnezzar, who is the ruler over Babylon, he's the king over Babylon, he makes this huge golden image, 60 cubits, 66 cubits tall, which is about 90 feet, and then about 6 cubits wide. He makes this big golden image, and he wants everybody in the province of Babylon to come and pay homage to it, to come and bow down to it. And in verse number 12, there were certain Jews from whom, whom, of, whom he had appointed over the administration of the province of Babylon, namely Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, That these men, O king, have disregarded you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image which you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in rage and in anger, gave orders to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men were brought before the king. And Nebuchadnezzar responded and said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I've set up? Now, if you are ready, at the sound or at the moment you hear the sound of the, the horn and all the music, you know, to fall down and worship the image that I've made very well. But if you do not worship, you will immediately be cast into the furnace of blazing fire. And what God is there who can deliver you out of my hands? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to give you an answer concerning this matter. If it be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the furnace of blazing fire, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But even if he does not, 
Let it be known to you, O king, that we are not going to serve your gods, and we're not going to worship the golden image that you have set up. Don't you love that kind of language? In verse number 19, Nebuchadnezzar filled with wrath, and his facial expression was altered towards Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And he answered, giving orders to heat the furnace up seven times more than it was usually heated. And he commanded valiant warriors who were, who were in his army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in order to cast them into the fire, furnace of blazing fire. Then these men were tied up in their trousers, their coats, their caps, and their other clothes. And they were cast into the midst of the furnace of blazing fire. For this reason, the king's command was so urgent, and the furnace was made extremely hot that the flame of the fire slew those men who carried up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell into the midst of the furnace of the blazing fire, still tied up. Then Nebuchadnezzar, the king, was astounded, and he stood up in haste, and he said to his official, officials, Was it not three men that we cast into the midst of the fire? And they replied, O king, certainly... It was, and he said, look now, I see four men loosed, somebody about to be free today, loosed and walking around in the midst of the fire without harm, and the appearance of the fourth is like the son of the gods. Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of the furnace of the blazing fire and responded, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, come out, you servants of the most high God, and come here. Verse number 27, in the satraps and the prefects, all the government officials around, around them and saw in regard that these men that had been thrown into the fire, that the fire had no effect on their bodies of these men, nor was the hair of their hair singed, nor was their trousers damaged, nor had the smell of fire even come upon them. And Nebuchadnezzar, the last verse right here. Nebuchadnezzar responded and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants, who put their trust in him, violating the king's command, and yielded up their bodies as not to serve or worship any other God except their own God. Now, let me just back it up. I want to rephrase a couple of things. Verse number 25, and he said, look, I see four men loosed and walking about in the midst of the fire. I want to phrase it this way. I see four men walking around loosed in the midst of the culture. In the midst of the culture without harm. In the midst of the, and, in the and, there, and there appears to be somebody with them in the midst of the culture. There's a fourth man in the midst of the culture with them, and there's no harm on them. This morning, I want to talk to you about being faithful in a failing culture. Being faithful in a failing culture push on about three people and tell them we're going to come out of this thing smelling good come on just tell them we're going to come out smelling good come on look at somebody on the other side of you and tell them everything's going to be all right just come on come on just prophesy that over somebody's life and tell them everything's going to be all right yes it is everything come on i'm looking for some faith-filled people right here everything's going to be all right we're going to be found faithful in the midst of a faith of a failing culture let me pray for you father this morning i thank you for the power and the presence of the holy spirit thank you for what you're going to do in people's lives today thank you for those that have gathered those that are watching online lord we just give you all the glory the honor and the praise now in jesus name i pray and everybody together said amen and amen and amen god bless you thank you for your time and standing this morning you may be seated let me just begin by giving you a couple a little bit of theological backdrop on where we're going. We are now living in a day where Christians, and, and the way I'm viewing it, the way I'm going to word it, we're living in a day now where Christians have lost home field advantage. We are no longer the home team. 
If you are a real Christian, and if you are a true disciple of Jesus Christ, not just a churchgoer, or not just some religious person, not just somebody who believes in God, but somebody who believes God, then you are now part of the visiting team. That means the crowd, the culture, is no longer supporting you. The public is no longer in your favor. If we put it in football terms, the 12th man on the field, the stadium, is no longer for you because you're the visiting team. There was a time and when, we, when there were serious Christians that had home field advantage. There was a time when we were the home team. There was a time when Christian, the Christian views were supported in schools. They were supported at home. They were supported by the media and even culture. Even if they didn't agree with you, they respected you enough to let your voice be heard without censorship. There was a day, but now we are the visiting team, and we no longer live in a land that honors or, reg or give regards to the Judeo-Christian values or even hold to its worldview. And the more serious you are about Jesus, the more isolated you become. Many Christians have become treasonous because they desire to be accepted in a culture and they want to be affirmed or embraced by the culture at their expense to their commitment to Christ. So for the first time in our day, for the first time even in American history, for the first several, for the last several decades, we are living in a post-Christian nation where the culture is hostile against our faith. It's never been like that in this generation. It's never been like that in our lifetime. But now we are living in a post-Christian nation where the culture as a whole is hostile to the Christian faith. Just like it was in Daniel chapter 1 when Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, had besieged Jerusalem. And he began to take captive all the young people. And he brought them over into Babylon because he brought them into a system that was hostile against their faith. So the backdrop, I'm going to get to where I'm going, so just keep tracking with me just for a moment. The backdrop of our text begins in 605 B.C. where God's judgment now has come against Judah for their rebellion against God. They had rebelled against God, and they have wandered into idolatry. And the judgment against them was to be captured by Nebuchadnezzar and by the nation of Babylon. Now you have the people of God living in a foreign land. Now you have the people of God living in a foreign system that's hostile against their faith. Babylon comes to us as a pagan environment full of all kinds of evil who is being uh, led and guided by a perverted, egotistical, maniac, madman named Nebuchadnezzar. And it was because of their spiritual rebellion that brought them to this place. It was their spiritual rebellion against God that brought them into a hostile environment. I don't have to take a whole lot of rabbit trails to explain everything that I'm talking to you about, but how many know that the condition of our nation is the result of our own rebellion against God? Uh, we, we wouldn't be here if there was a movement towards God versus a movement away from God. And, and so our own condition, our own depravity, our own self-seeking our own idolatrous ways. And I'm not just talking about the church. I'm talking about America as a whole. Because we have gone after other things, it has positioned the American systems that we have all grew up in and loved and come to cherish. It has put us into a system now 
that is hostile against God. Verses number two that we read, it says, and the Lord gave them into their hand. The Lord gave Judah into their enemy's hands. This is the way you could sum it up. In other words, God was saying, since y'all don't want to serve me, I'm going to let you serve your enemies. <laughs> huh? And then we read in verses 3 and 5 of chapter 1 there where, where they begin to take all of the youth and they begin to pull all of the youth into their systems. They begin to pull all of the sons of Israel into their system, into their pagan, idolatrous way in order to train them, in order to educate them, give them a new language, change their diet, change what they're wearing, change the way they think, bring them into a system so that they can keep the perversion of that system alive. The culture we're living in is trying to brainwash us. We're living in a day, and just, just track with me because I'm, not just, I'm just highlighting things. I don't want to point everything out, but I'm just, i got to get to a point here. We're living in a day when all of our major institutions have become God-denying institutions. It's, 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 it's not everywhere, but, but it's, it, it's, it's definitely the norm. Our culture is feeding sin into our homes. Trying to track with you. Y'all still here? The culture that's hostile to our faith is feeding sin into our home through television, through media, through commercials and sitcoms. Now it's on radio and songs, billboards and charts. And it's even in politics. It's feeding. See, when the, when the Speaker of the House of the United States of America can go on RuPaul's Drag Race show and says, this is the way of America, and then they want preachers to be quiet, I'm just trying to tell you, it's a, it's a, it's a culture that's hostile against our faith. When you can take the second leading person in command outside the president and the vice president, and they can go on a transgender, transvestite show and say, this is the way of America, you have to know we're living in the culture from the top down that's against your faith. You're living in a culture that's hostile against the things of God. If you don't think you're being brainwashed, just look how unoffended you are now versus how much you were offended when you first saw it. Now our children are being brainwashed to see and hear things as though it's normal. And I, I'm, not, I'm not just trying to highlight that part of the perversion of sin because all sin is perverted in its identity. That's what's, All sin is perverted in its identity. Everybody that has a sin problem has an identity problem. So, so I'm not just trying to highlight the perverted. I'm just saying this, this is the most sick and depraved generation that we have ever lived in. Our nation has never experienced this kind of hostility against Christianity. And the church has to understand that we are living in a hostile culture. But while we're living in the hostile culture, it's not time to stick our head in the sand and pretend like there ain't nothing going on. It ain't time to back in the corner and act like we can't do nothing about it. But God is looking for some believers in the midst of the hostility to say, I can still believe God. I can still trust God. I don't have to bend. I don't have to bow. And I don't have to compromise. I can still hold true to, in, to the integrity of God's word and allow what God has formed and fashioned on the inside of me to live outside of me. Tell somebody we're going to get through it now. Just tell them we're going to get through it. 
I was, I was reading some reports the other day, and uh, did you know that the, the new Disney movie, uh, Buzz Lightyear, you know, which I thought was a great, the first one was awesome. Okay, whatever. <laughs> but the new Buzz Lightyear, that, that you know it is now banned in Malaysia and in other Muslim countries because it's got same-sex kissing in it. I'm just trying to, it's banned in Muslim countries who are against God because they even recognize the perversion of it. But right here in America, we're going to sell out to it. We're going to push our kids into it. And we're going to say, look how good that is. Everybody's just in love. Can I tell you, you are being brainwashed in the midst of a culture that's coming after your kids. It's coming, and it's coming hard, and it's coming strong, and they're not hiding anything about it. The last report I saw, which was about a month or so ago, Disney has lost $65 billion since they have gone woke. And I pray that they go broke. I pray that they shut down because if you keep messing with our kids, if you keep perverting what should be natural movements of God in the earth, and you're perverting it and saying, this is acceptable, I'm just here to say to you, I'm not against Mickey Mouse. But if Mickey Mouse don't get it right, I hope you go broke. And this is up to us as parents to realize that the culture is hostile. And the culture is working itself into your homes. You think it's just in Orlando. You think it's just in California. You think it's just in New York. I'm telling you, it's right here in your street. It's right there on your neighborhood. And if you're not careful, it's going to be right there in your house. We have now devoted a whole month to perverted sex. They're going to get mad at us because we say something about it. (laughs) It's not about race. It's about righteousness. It's not about color. It's about character. It's not about gay rights. It's about the image of God. It's not even about family planning and a right to a woman's body to choose. It's about the murdering of an unborn baby. It's not even a political battle. It's a battle versus evil and good. And if we don't rise up and realize we are in a hostile culture, and and the narrative that we read today brings us to a generation of young people who are standing in the midst of a hostile culture, groomed and trained in the schools of Jerusalem where their mamas and their fathers would teach them about the ways of God. And as teenagers, they were drugged into a foreign land. But while they're standing in the midst of a foreign land, thank God they had enough God on the inside of them when it would have been easy to bow. They stood in the midst of the craziness and they said, Oh, King, let it be known unto you you our God is able to deliver us but even if he does not let it be known unto you we refuse to bow we refuse to give in to a hostile gone crazy world we refuse it and God is looking for a generation right here in our time. I, I, I got, our youth conference is coming up in Fort Myers. The, the, the students, Pastor Corey, and those guys are leaving on Monday. And a lot of our teenagers are going over there. And I'm preaching on Wednesday night. Just pray for me because I believe God wants to touch a young movement of kids. I believe God wants to fill them with the power of the Holy Ghost. That you can be right in the middle of downtown perversion and still not give way to it. God's going to raise them up. So here we are now living in, in a, and in, in I'm just, I'm using these words. I'm not saying this is us as a whole as a church. I'm saying this is us as a whole as a nation. Now we're blaspheming God. Blaspheming does not mean that you take the Lord's name in vain. It simply means that you begin to call good evil and evil good. That's blaspheming. Isaiah 5.20 says, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil. Woe to those who begin to pervert 
the justice and the righteousness of God and push it over into another category. That's the day that we're living in. That's the hour that we find ourselves tucked away in. Just, are y'all still doing all right? I'm going to preach in a minute. Just, just let me get there, all right? So our educational systems, and thank God we got a lot of educators in here, and I know you guys are holding your ground. Praise God for you. I mean that with all the muster of strength I got. Thank God for godly teachers. Thank God for godly witnesses. But what's coming down the mainstream of our nation, our educational institutes, now teach theory and deny divine facts. And they teach theory as though it is a fact. These Hebrew boys have been removed from their godlike environment. They have been separated from their spiritual roots. They have been separated and moved to Babylon. They, they, they have been removed from the trainings of their fathers. Dads, are you still training your kids? Dads, do you still have your hand on your kids? Are you still prophesying over your kids? Only men can give young men their identity. Only men can tell their kids what they are. Are you still prophesying over your kids? Are you still speaking life over your kids? These young men were separated from their fathers and their mothers and the teaching and the training of their roots and their history. They were separated from community. Now they're living in an environment that's hostile to their faith. Can we say this about some young people that are about to leave this, 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 this level of education and go off into a higher education? Can you still hold to your morals? Can you still trust God in the midst of a hostile culture that's going to teach you a bunch of low-life, perverted ways of untruthful things, but still believe that in the midst of that, God may have put you there, God may have assigned you there, but not to give in to it, not to bow down to it, but to hold your ground in the midst of a hostile culture? Can you still be found faithful in the midst of a culture that's against you? To answer those kind of questions, these guys have been removed. And in our text, Babylon has a long history in Scripture at being, being at odds with God's people. Nebuchadnezzar had come and he had conquered most of the known world at that time. Then he takes Jerusalem and he burns their temple and destroys their gates. And he begins to take the people of God captive. Nebuchadnezzar is a different kind of king. Because Babylon is a different kind of an empire. There were other empires like the Syrians who were known for skinning people alive. The Persian Empire was known for crucifying people. But the Babylonian Empire was good at brainwashing people. They were good at controlling people's minds. Nebuchadnezzar captures God's people and he brings them in and he begins to mix the people of God with the culture that's against God. And he begins to change their names. Then he begins to change their garments. Then he begins to change their diets. He removed from them every remembrance of everything connected to their history. Tell me that ain't going on in our nation. We got people in places of authority that's doing everything they can to squash our history. Because if you go back to the foundation of our history, it was birthed out of the Judeo-Christian principles. It's not, it's, a, it's not a Republican thing. It's not a Democratic thing. It's an evil thing. They just wear those badges. That's all it is. But they're inspired, demonically inspired. By the devil, because once you uproot Christianity out of America, so goes the world. So he removes their remembrance. He captures an entire generation of young people. We read it in our text. They're young people. They're gifted. They're talented. They're good looking. And he's molding them and he's training them. He's bringing the best and the brightest in order to keep the culture influenced in the wrong direction. He didn't hold them in bondage like they did in Egypt. He just held them 
in captivity to train their minds to think differently. Babylon was not like Egypt. Babylon is different because it was the imprisonment of the mind. The word Babylon literally means confusion. This will be on the screen. It literally means confusion. It's the captivity of the mind. Babylon is a system that deals with economics. It deals with imagery and politics and arts. It's a system designed to buy you off. It's got quiet in this Presbycostal church. It's a system that will pay you to be quiet. It's a system that will pay you to comply. As long as you don't say anything, as long as you don't speak out, the system will work for you. But if you speak against the system, we're going to make life uncomfortable for you. Ladies and gentlemen, that's the culture that you and I are living in today. Babylon buys people out, and the reason people can be bought out is because people are for sale. What is the price over your life? What will you sell your soul to for another dollar? Will you sell it for another girlfriend, another sex moment? Some of y'all just, y'all make me laugh because I see the expressions on your face. And it's like, oh, Lord, what is he going to say? I don't know. Just let the Holy Ghost flow. We'll, we'll, we'll sell our soul for momentary pleasures. We'll trade business deals. Politicians will scratch politicians' back. It don't matter about the morality of it. As long as somebody gets their way, and even though it's against God, it don't matter because I'll come to church and I'll lift my hands. Even though I'm living in Babylon, I'll lift my hands and I'll let people think that I'm godly. I'll let people think that I'm on track with God. But in your heart, you have sold out the very thing that God put in there. Sold out because you were for sale. I started to tell you to say, what's your price? Don't say that. <laughs> so Babylon, I'm, I'm about to get to where I'm going, okay? Y'all doing all right? I know this is different. I know this is different, but I'm telling you, th- 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 these are my conversations with God. That's how what preaching really is. It's when the preacher lets you in on the conversation that they're having with God. Babylon is symbolic to us as the world system. Babylon exists and has existed all the way, and it does exist all the way to the book of Revelation. Babylon, the place, now becomes Babylon, the spirit. It's not just a place. It's a spirit. It's the spirit of the world, or it's the spirit of this age. Babylon has over it a king, which is a type of a dominant spirit that rules over territories and belief systems or worldviews. Because now Babylon is not just a place that we read in the Old Testament. Babylon is a spirit that we contend with in our culture. I think I wrote it down. I don't know. I don't want to skip everything, but I know with my time schedule here. In 2012, our president endorsed gay marriages. In 2015, the Supreme Court made it law. In 2022, our president has endorsed same-sex change for an eight-year-old. That's the culture. Please don't, don't, don't look at me like I, I'm telling I, I know I just named three things that are going on, but it's not just a political thing. I'm talking about the spirit of Babylon behind it. It's because anybody can be in that place. And we had, and just, just so you'll know, so we can be equally fair, there's been as much hijacked up Republican presidents in office that were warmongers and all kinds of stuff that was going on. They were finding massive weapons of destruction that was not there. Y'all not going to say nothing. I'm just trying to tell you. But, but we, we get our minds on politicians and policy. I'm telling you, you got to get beyond the faces and you got to get to the spirit of it that's driving it, that's forcing people into a category. And the church is the only legalized entity on the planet that can overthrow darkness. Only the church can do that. And so, so you got this system in place, Babylon. It's ruling. It's reigning. 
And Jeremiah comes along. Now watch this now because now Jeremiah comes along and, says, and, he, and he begins to prophesy that they would be in Babylon for 70 years and then they would be set free. Here's the deal. Babylon was such an influence over God's people that when they were set free, 70 years later, when they were set free, most of the people didn't even go back. Can you imagine 70 years without God's presence? And now you don't even hunger for it? 70 years with no feast of the tabernacles, and now you don't even yearn for it? 70 years of living in a, uh, in a Babylonian mindset, a captivity of the mind. 70 years living. Just think about how long you are, how, how old you are, and how long you've been living under the, the, the rulership of Babylon, even in our nation for the last 20 to 30 years. Just how long have we come away from God? And I'm not just talking about the world. I expect the world to drift further away from God. I'm talking about a system that has invaded God's house, a system that has come into God's church and now we have just drifted along with society and now we're just we don't even care to worship God we can't even get people here consistently for two weeks in a row because there's no hunger there's no zeal there's no fire for the things of God because everything else is more important for showing your neighbor say I know he's right about it I'm glad he ain't talking to me Seventy years. We've been in, in my lifetime. I, I, I've tried to trace it down. In the last twenty years, the last two decades of our nation, the church has drifted further away from God, rather than further to God. Because now we let the world infiltrate the mindset of the church to the point that the church has to think just like the world in order to, in our mind to think that we have to win them that way. You know what wins the world? It's being distinct. You know what wins the world? It's being holy. You know what wins the world? is having a standard of righteousness in your life and you don't deviate from it. You know what becomes a witness to the world? is when you can walk out the love of Christ with the gays, with the homosexuals, with the people that are perverted, and not bring a judgment because you can love them right there in their sin. You can love an alcoholic. You can love somebody who's been divorced. You can love somebody who's abused their wife, abused their children. But you pour out the love of God because I'm not affected by the culture that I live in. That's how you win them. That's how you influence them because you carry something on the inside of you that the world didn't give you and the world can't take it away. Look at your neighbor and say, I know he's right about it. I know he's right. Come on now, just work with me. Just keep tracking with me. I put it, I put it down like this. A problem is spiritual because when you have become so culturalized, in Babylon for so long, you don't even fight for the glory. We settle in our confusion for so long, and we become content with Babylonian language, Babylonian garments, and Babylonian diets. We just become content. Whatever the world offers, that's what I'll take. If you keep reading all throughout the book of Daniel, you'll find out that when Daniel and his boys went on a fast, they didn't get to eat the meat, but they, they came out healthier than the ones who had everything because God knows how to sustain you. <laughs> Jesus said, I have food that you know not of. Whew, that's another message. A problem is not just economical. It's not just political. Not to say that those people occupying those places don't mean nothing because they do. They are important. But there's no one in office or no one that can be in office that can fix our problems. Who can you vote into office that will change the heart of a kid from shooting other kids? Can't do it. Who can you vote into office that will change the heart of a man to love his wife and not another man. Come on, talk to me up in this church. Y'all see this on TV every day. Y'all like that now. Now y'all y'all in shock because the preacher's talking about it. Oh my God, he just said that. Yeah, 
It's coming across your TV screen wide open, and you're just taking it in. If, it, if a righteous anger doesn't rise up, you're dead. You, you, there's something inside of you that's compromised. We're trying to pass laws and make people look moral, but we want to take God out of the picture. You can't eradicate evil with legislation. I'm trying to help this church understand something. We can change the, the, how you say, the trajectory of this county, of this region, by some Holy Ghost-filled people who can stand in the midst of the fire and not be burned. That's how we do it. Morality has never and will never work in a vacuum because morality comes from God. And there are many things that are not illegal, but they are immoral. (laughs) When you demonize truth, you begin to normalize violence. And I put it this way because I'm about to give you a couple things here. If God's presence is not evident among his people, his presence can't be evident in the land. There's got to be a people that can hold the standard. When was the last time you walked away from a dirty joke? Knew it was coming, but you said, nah, ain't, nah, these ears, these ears are not for that. When's the last time, guys, you quit looking at your social media pages, all them crazy naked girls? I'm just going to keep looking at the lights because they blind me. When was the last time you could have engaged in an argument because you were right, but you just had to be right, but you chose not to be right? Because you wanted to demonstrate something more pure. It's called righteous living. And I'm amazed at how many people hide behind religiosity. They say they love God, but boy, they're mean as a rattlesnake. They can give you scriptures, but boy, you better not, you better not say nothing behind their back or let them hear something that, that, you, that you were even misquoted about. These Hebrew boys had every advantage. The government hired them. The government hired them. The government said, we're going to raise you up. We're going to train you for greatness. We're going to put you in our system, and we're going to train you for greatness. Listen, you can work in the government, but you don't have to bow to it. I don't need your paycheck, but I do need my God. I don't need another business deal, but I do need the integrity of God in my heart. I don't have to sell out just because of a temporary passing pleasure because there's got to be enough God that holds me to the principles and the character of God so that I might please him. Faith is not to make me please everybody. Faith is so that I might please him so that he can look at my life and say, you are an acceptable son or daughter of God. And it's not because of what I've done, but it's because I have learned how to embrace the grace and the mercy of God over my life. And because I accept that, and I live my life through that. He lives through me. That's a long ways of saying hold tight in the midst of a hostile culture. Let me give you these three things and then we'll go home. Y'all doing all right? How do we remain faithful in a failing culture? Number one, don't fear the fire. Look at your neighbor and say, don't fear the fire. Verse Chapter 3, verse number 15, it says, when you hear the sound of the music, I need you to bow down and I need you to worship. Or not, you will immediately be cast into the furnace of blazing fire. And what God, isn't that just like the enemy? What God is there who can deliver you out of my hands? Egotistical maniac authorities taunting the people of God like, if you don't bow down, Your God is not going to save you. 
Your God is not going to help you. You got to get to the place where you don't fear the fire. The whole providence of Babylon was bowing down. Most scholars say there was about 300,000 people in the plains of Duro. 300,000 people in the plains of Duro. Can you imagine when the music started and everybody went to bowing down? Here you got Shadrach, Meshach, and a bad Negro standing there like, yeah, look at him. Look what's going on. Everybody in the problem, you don't think you're going to stand out? You don't think you're going to look silly? You don't think you're going to be ostracized? You don't think you're going to be attacked? But you just stand your ground and you let the world cave in. You let the people cave in. But you hold your ground. Everybody, 300,000 people were bowing. If we just stood, these people, however many is in it, maybe 150, 75 people, whatever it is. If we just stood everybody up in this room and we said, okay, now everybody hit the floor except for three of y'all. You know how bad you would stand out? Because most people say, well, let's just, hey, let's just use wisdom. We, we really, we're going to bow our knee, but we're not going to bow our hearts. Are you kidding me? Your actions is the evidence of your life. I, I'm just going to pretend. No, you have, you, you have just bowed not only your knee, but you have bowed your heart to a secularized government that's against your faith. Say, so, well, we're just going to use wisdom. Fear will always be masqueraded as wisdom. Fear is always masqueraded as wisdom. God didn't call us just to not, there's a lot of things. i tell you what, I'll just let you in on a little secret. Most of you know because you've been here long enough. But it tears me up to hold a microphone every week. It's almost like I have to do it in fear. And I've been doing it now for over 20 years. But it just tears me up. Sometimes you just have to do things that you're not comfortable with, but you know it's godly. Whole providence. What God has said is what you got to keep feeding on, not how you feel, because your feelings will lie to your faith, and then it'll put you in fear. I love the way Bill Johnson said it. I don't know. I heard it maybe a couple months ago. This will be on the screen. He said, if you live in fear or if you live cautiously, all your friends will call you wise, but you won't move any mountains. You won't move any mountains. All your friends say, oh, he's got wisdom. No, you're just scared. It takes courage to confront and face what God has put before us. You say, well, I can't believe that God put them in front of a fiery furnace. You'd be amazed what God will lead you into. The Bible says that Jesus was led into the wilderness to be tempted. Let's put it this way. Jesus was led into the wilderness to have conflict. He was led into the wilderness to have conflict. But the conflict was not a punishment to Jesus. The conflict was to punish the devil. Y'all just missed a good point right there. Some of the stuff that God's leading you into, it's not to bring punishment to you. It's so that you can punish the enemy. Come on, Shadrach. Come on, Meshach. Come on, Abednego. God put you in the front of that fiery furnace, not so that you could be punished by what Nebuchadnezzar is doing, so that you can say, the fire has no power over me. The fire has no effect over my life. Let me give you number two because we're going to quickly run out of time. You have to stay more committed to the promise rather than the pleasures. Stay more committed to the promise rather than the pleasure of safety. That's another way I put it. I think that's the way it's on the screen. Mm. That means there will be times in your spiritual journey when you're going to have to learn how to make war with the word of God over your life. 
1 Timothy chapter 1, verse number 18. This will be on the screen. This is in the Passion Translation. He says, so, Timothy, my son, I'm entrusting you with this responsibility. In keeping with the very first prophecies that were spoken over your life and now are in the process of fulfill, fulfillment in this great work of ministry, in keeping with the prophecies spoken over you. With this encouragement, watch this, use your prophecies as a weapon. Let's say it this way. Use the word of God as a weapon and wage spiritual warfare by faith and with a clean conscience. For there are many who reject these virtues and now they are destitute of the true faith. Whoo, how powerful is that? Notice that he said you got to keep a clean conscience because a clean conscience is connected to strong faith. A defiled conscience gives you weak faith. He says you got to keep a clean conscience. When there's compromise, then our conscience begins to weaken our faith. Prophecy is that word over your life. Somebody say, I need a word. All right, you got a Bible? There's your word right there. There's 66 books of prophecy right there. 66 books of everything against this word is inferior. This word is always superior. Amen. You don't automatically come into the promises of God. You have to wage a good warfare. Well, it ain't working out. Keep fighting. Well, my kids are still rebellion. Keep fighting. Keep speaking the word of the Lord over their life. Well, my marriage is on the rocks. You better hang in there. You better keep fighting. Well, my money's acting funny. Well, you just better stabilize yourself. Cut up new credit cards. <laughs> because there are only certain things that can be built in warfare. And it's the conflict that brings character. It's what Paul was telling Timothy. You got to hold this thing together, Timothy. You got to keep fighting a good fight. You got to keep those negative thoughts from coming into your head. Come on, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You're in Babylon, but don't let Babylon get in you. And, it, and, it, and it's, 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 isn't it just like God, not only that God lead them into the fire? Most people want God to take us out of the fire. God led them in the fire, and then God took them through the fire. Whew. Some of you are in the fire right now. Don't ask me. Don't, don't, don't just keep saying, God, take me out. Just let God take you through because when you come out, some things are about to shift over your life. Some things are about to change over your life. It's the process. It's the refining of what God is doing in your life that's building something in you that you could not get without the warfare. How many's in a fight right now? Just wave your hand at me. Just say, hey, I'm in a fight. Just hang on to that word. Hang on to that word. Okay, let me give you the last one because it's 12 o'clock, almost there. I got some good points, but I'm just going to give you the highlighted version. Is that all right? Huh? Okay. Okay. Because, you know, I preached twice before y'all got out once on Sunday. So I'm trying to stay in that vein. (laughs) Number three, strong faith will never go unchallenged. Strong faith will never go unchallenged. Every invitation into greatness is always accompanied by obstacles and mountains. Every believer will be known by the enemies they defeat or by the enemies that defeat them. Amen. The size of your enemy determines the size of your reward. I want to tell you something. God is into rewards. In fact, that's how he got the disciples hooked into him. Jesus said, there's rewards for hanging out with me. Because Happy Father's Day, men. Men understand rewards. Men don't want to come to church just to sing a bunch of cute songs. Men want to come to church that's got a mission. Men want to come to church where they can be challenged in their life. Most real men who are following after God with a passionate heart, they don't want to just be lullaby. They don't want to just want to come in here and hold hands and sing a bunch of love songs. But you give a man a mission. You give a man a reason to fight, and he'll rise up nature. The rising up of that nature, that man will rise up in the midst of the heated warfare, and he's not afraid to be challenged. 
At least all the men should have said amen right there. Some of the men have said, no, I don't want no child. I'm, I'm challenged out. Take Goliath away from David, and all you have is a shepherd's boy. But you give him a challenge, and you're about to make him a king. You take Pharaoh away from Moses, and all you have is a shepherd on the backside of a mountain. But you put a Pharaoh in front of him, he's going to rise up and say, let my people go. You take the broken down walls away from Nehemiah, and all you have is a modern-day butler. But you give him a challenge, you give him a mission, you give him assignment, he will rise up and lead the greatest comeback in history of the pages of the Bibles that we read. Take the Midianites away from Gideon, and all you have is a coward hiding in the wine press. But you let the Midianites invade, you watch a man rise up in the midst of a wine press and overthrow Midianites with just 300 men. There's no such thing as a troubled free life. We're in the kingdom, and the kingdom attracts trouble. Jesus said, in all these things, you're more than conquerors. Yeah? Psalms 23 says, he has prepared a table before me in the midst of my enemies. Some of the best dining you can have is in the middle of your enemies. We're going to close right here. Is this okay? The, these boys refused to give up their faith. To placate to a culture. I said all that to say this. They drew a line in the sand. You don't have to buckle to a hostile culture. The world is looking for men and women who can rise in the midst of the adversity and say, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. That's what the world is looking for. My faith is not for sale. Whew. There's a clear line in the sand, and I'm not backing away from it. The government said you have to bow. These boys said not today. <laughs> they drew a line in the sand. We may lose our jobs. We may lose income, we may lose our position, we may lose our power, but we're not going to lose our God. We're not going to lose God over this temporary, momentary light affliction. I'm not going to sell out to the world just because it's going to give me something better. Because what can the world give you better than God? What can the world offer you that's better than peace in your own heart? You have to know today, come on, Pastor Porter, you have to know today that God has not put power in the hands of government. He didn't put power in the hands of Hollywood, and he surely didn't put hand, power in the hands of Wall Street. He put it in the hands of his people. He put it in the hands of his church. Come on, you can stand today you don't mind. Y'all doing all right? I know we're getting into vacation mode, getting a little lethargic, but that's all right. We're, we're coming after something. Notice that the Babylonians changed their names. They changed their garments. They changed their diets. But they could not change their heart. Because they refused to change. And when the king saw their God in the midst of the fire with them, he gave a different message. I wrote this in my notes during worship. If you can stay faithful long enough against the culture, God will begin to give evidence of why he called you into the culture. If you can stay faithful long enough in the culture. Babylon, Persian law was irrevocable. 
couldn't change it. So what the king did, he couldn't change the fact that he threw them in the fire. And he couldn't change the fact that everybody who don't bow is not going to burn. But when he saw their God, you can read it in verses 27, 28, and 29, and 30. When he saw their God in the fire, he made a new command. And he said, everybody that doesn't serve the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, them and their families are going to be thrown into the fire. You know how we change culture? It's not by giving into it. It's by refusing to bow down to it. You know what changes the hearts of men? It's when they see the evidence of God in your life in the midst of the fire. When they can see God in you. When, the, when they can, for them it was a fiery furnace. When, 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 when Nebuchadnezzar looked inside that furnace, he knew the flame was hot because the guys that tied them up, when they opened up the lid to the furnace, the Bible says that the flame leaped out of that and jumped on the men that, that was going to throw them in there. And it consumed them. It burnt them. And so when these boys fell into the midst of the same fire, when Nebuchadnezzar looked in there, he saw not one, two, three men. He saw one, two, three, four men walking around in the midst of the fire. And there was their hands were not tied. Their legs were not tied. Their clothes were not burned. It's like the fire had no power over them. And he calls them out can you imagine them stepping out of the fire stepping on the ashes of the men that just got burned in front of them and there's no smell of smoke on their body there's no smell of fire on their body and they're stepping out and the king the culture looks at them and says that's the God that I want to serve that's the God that I want to be a part of I'm just trying to tell you that's how we win the culture that's how we influence the culture when they see the power and the manifestation of God oh my lord I'm I'm preaching a lot harder than y'all shouting right there oh my gosh so so when when I work out here just like y'all do I'm I'm all over the city we got projects going on I don't just preach on Sunday morning I'm in the business that world I'm in everywhere I'm watching shady deals go on I'm watching liars lie all the time I'm watching people scratch people's backs I see it all the time I'm in the midst of it you know what I'm just saying God help me not for sake help me not forsake what you called me to be let me be the light in the midst of a jacked up culture let me hold to the standard of truth So when they look at me, they see something different. They got to see something different. That's how you influence. The government said, hey, we're going to change the laws. Nobody did a a parade. Nobody said, well, let's get all the voters together so we make sure everybody votes. No, they just demonstrated God. And the government couldn't deny the effects of God. That's what we need. That's why the church has to come into revival. Amen? Come on, throw your hands up all over the building one time. Come on, just throw your hands up. Say, God, give me the strength. Give me the power. Give me the anointing. Lord, let me stand in the midst of a hostile culture. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Come on, I'm just 30 seconds of real strong prayer coming up out of the house so we can go. It's Father's Day. Real strong prayers coming up. Come on, we're going to believe God for strength, special anointings in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Come on, let's just begin to call out to God. Come on, say, God, give me strength. Give me the anointing. Give me the ability to stand. Lord, I thank you for grace. I thank you for mercy in the midst. I didn't get in this thing to be safe. I got in this thing because I believe God. I got in this thing because I believe that the purposes of God could sustain me. I'm going to even be like Esther. If I die, I die. If I die, I die. I'm just, whatever it takes, whatever I have to, I'm not going to sell out. I'm not going to give in. I'm not going to give it up. I'm going to hold to my faith. I'm going to hold to my confession. In the name of Jesus. God's will for our life is less about our comfort, but it's more about our contribution. It's about our contribution. I want to end today when we get through praying. Our our prayer teams will be here if you need people to agree with you in prayer. I know people are walking through stuff in the building today. We just want to make sure that we stay stay available to pray with you and anoint you, keep declaring things over your life. But I want to pray for the men today. Can I do that real quick? 
can, can we just do this? Can, can all the men just stand and all the ladies sit just for a moment while we just pray over the men? Can we just do that? Can we just do that real quick? Come on, ladies. Let's give all these men a great big God bless you today. I have always contended, always contended that a strong church is a bunch of strong men. And I, that's nothing against the women because y'all know I'm in it with you ladies. Ha, ha, you, you ladies, you ladies carry it. You ladies make it happen. And I'm with you. But we need strong men. We need strong men that can lead their families. We need men. Listen, if you're a dad in this place today, if you're, if you're a father, if you're going to be a father, if you're a father in this place, it's never the role of the woman to give identity to their kids. It's your role. The reason why we got jacked up men in our society is because they didn't have men in their life that gave them true identity. We got to have men. We need strong men in this church. We need men. We need men that are active and serving. Serving in the house of the Lord. We don't just show up to hear preaching. We, we part of the usher team. We part of the security team. We, 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 we part of the worship team. If you play instruments, if you can sing, we, part, we, we do children's church. It's, it's, it's everywhere. We do media. We do sound. We, we got all kinds of places to plug in. Don't just say, well, that's the woman's job. None of the men are going to help me, ladies. Y'all going to have to jump in here right here. Y'all going to have to jump in here. We need men that are activated, men that are pushing, men that are leading their families, not just living on the overflow of preaching and worship, men that are leading their families behind the scenes, not just what you do at church, it's what you do at home, amen? So ladies, would you just stretch your hand out if you're there with your husband, you can even hold their hand if you like, however you want to do with that, but we just want to pray over some men in the house today. Lord, I pray for every man in this building today. Lord, I pray for every man that is standing in this atmosphere, Lord, that they will have strong character. Lord, that they will be committed to the things of God. Lord, that they will rise above the obstacles of the world. And Lord, that they will be men of integrity, men of righteousness, men of character, men who will walk according to the drumbeat of heaven, men who will stand in their office, men who will preach, men who will pray and prophesy over their family, men who will lead their children, men who will lead their children's children, men who will lead their home, men who will stand in the gap, men who will become intercessors, men who would pray, men who would devote their lives to God, men who would lead their children to God, men who would lead their children in Bible study, Bible reading, Bible worship. God, we just thank you today for a house full of strong men, men that can walk into a culture, get mixed up into a culture, and do business with the culture, but not be defiled not be defiled. Lord, I come against every defiling spirit. I come against every contaminating spirit that would try to attach itself to the men of God. God, I break that grip. I break that power today. And we give you all the praise. And we give you all the glory. In Jesus' name I pray. Come on, and everybody just jump up on your feet and give God a praise.